Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm excited to eat that meal of solidarity with my family. I have three young girls who are all fairly picky eaters. I guarantee they're going to hate that meal. (laughs) And it'll be a great opportunity to tell them. There are people who would so much want to have this meal. So I hope you get to uh, join us in doing that. It's going to be a great opportunity. Well, we're in uh, Luke 10 through 19, this section of Luke's gospel known as the travel narrative, where Jesus is journeying from the north in Galilee down to Jerusalem down to the cross. 
And so his disciples are on a physical journey with him, but they're also on a spiritual journey with him, learning the ways of Jesus. And I've been saying that's what we're doing together. We're on this journey with Jesus, learning the ways of Jesus in the world. And Jesus' ways are very distinct in the world. And the world has its ways, right? The world has, we look around and there's all sorts of ways that people are living. The, way has, the world has its ways with, uh, with relationships and how it navigates relationships, uh, with work, with Sabbath, with, with all sorts of things. And today we're going to look at um, the ways with money and possessions. Uh, there is a way that the world relates to its, its wealth, to financial resources and, and tangible physical possessions. Now, Orange County, I don't know if you no- noticed this, but Orange County has a way um, that it relates with wealth, money, possessions. And that way is to go after money and possessions as a way to secure satisfaction in life, uh, uh, significance in life, and security. Uh, But Jesus has a very (laughs) different way of relating with wealth and stuff than the world. And today we're going to see he invites us into his way. And I am going to argue, and I think you'll see by then, it is an incredibly refreshing and life-giving way to relate with money and possessions. So we get to be invited into that. Um, And I promise you, if you follow him in his way with these things, you will stand out in this culture. This is one very easy way to look very different. And sometimes it's hard to know, like first century, they they like, they suffered for Jesus. They died for Jesus. What does it look like 2000 years later? How do I actually stand out in the culture? I promise you, if you engage in wealth and possessions the way Jesus does, you will stand out in this culture. You will look different. And some will, will, it'll look foolish, and some will go, that is really attractive. I'm, I'm interested in why you do that. So we're actually going to spend two weeks talking about money because Jesus has a lot to say of it, about it in Luke's gospel. So we'll look at this chapter, and then we'll look at another chapter next week. Um, this week, I'm going to kind of stay big picture, think about some big picture issues con- connected with wealth. And then next week, we'll get a little bit more concrete and tangible. We'll have hopefully some stories to share that will be inspiring for you. So that's what we're going to do. Um, let me just start the next two weeks by alleviating some fears that some of you have all of a sudden. Your defenses are going up. Let me just alleviate you. One um, is to say the church is in really good financial shape right now. All right? <clears throat> so uh, there's no bait and switch. There's no ask at the end of this. Um, we get to talk about it in the abstract, so to speak. And, and if, if you came away from these two weeks giving generously to other organizations, other causes, that would be the big win as far as I'm concerned. So let me just alleviate any of those concerns for you. And the other, I want to speak to those you just right now who, who you probably know you're in the top 10% in terms of your net worth in this room right now. And you've heard so many series on money and, and stuff like that. And you've, you, you get pinged all the time. You get all these asks for your money. And you always come away from these things feeling like you kind of got hit over the head a little bit. Like, oh, gosh, I'm going to get hit again. Yeah, I know I've got a lot of money, and Jesus says some things. And there's sort of just this guilt that kind of sets in. And I, and I just want to speak to that right away and say, what I'm about to say for the next two weeks has nothing to do with your net worth or, or your income or how much you make, okay? It is an even playing field, the things that I'm going to say. And many of you in this room um, make a lot of money, and you're gifted in making lots of money. And you make lots of money not because you're immoral or you're crooked or you rip people off, but because you do things with excellence. And God has gifted you in certain ways 
that are advantageous in the marketplace. And I, you, know, you don't hear it often. I just want to say it from here. That is a very good thing. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. That God has gifted you in unique ways and put you in unique circumstances. And making lots of money is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. And it comes with fantastic opportunity for God's kingdom. All right? So I just, you, you don't hear that often from the pulpit. And I want to say that. That is a good thing, not a bad thing. And it's tempting always in, in series like this to be listening for someone else in the room, right? Oh, I really hope, I hope those people are, are listening to what, what you're saying. No, no. Listen for yourself for the next two weeks. Uh, making money is not a bad thing. Now, what we do with that money, that's the question um, that Jesus raises for us, I think. And what I want to hopefully help you see is that, is that we can disconnect our earning with our spending. <laughs> There's an assumption in our culture that as your in- income increases, your, your, you know, your quality of life, your, your spending should increase with it. And I just want to say there's nothing. Jesus would disconnect those two things. You can make lots and lots more money and keep living a certain way. There's nothing that says you can't do that. And maybe for those of you that make lots of money, maybe God wants to also give you the gift of generosity because you could unleash all sorts of resources for God's kingdom in the world. And so I want to just, I hope that you experience this as an empowering conversation, as a freeing conversation, but inspiring and and encourages you towards more radical generosity. And that goes for all of us in this room, okay? So there's an even playing field in what we're about to say. All right, so let's look at our passage today. Um, We get a, a collection of sayings. Uh, from Jesus on the topic of money and possessions. Most of these, I'm sure uh, most of you in this room have heard uh, in various contexts before. I want to start with Jesus' first basic comment about wealth. And it comes in verse 15. I want to just sit with this statement for a second, and then we'll kind of walk through what else he says. Verse 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard. And then he ends verse 15 with a, a very simple but profound statement. He says this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let me put it up here. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And when he says life, I I assume he he means more than staying alive. I I don't think he's... I I think what he means is true life, fulfilling life, good life, right? A rich, meaningful, full life doesn't consist in these things. Uh, Maybe what today we would call the good life. Okay. What is the good life? Everyone's living their lives trying to figure out what is the good life? What does it look like to live a good life? How do you pursue that? And Jesus is making a statement about the good life. And he's saying, guess what? It doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. That's not what leads to the good life. And we need to just sit with that for a second and ask ourselves if we actually believe that that's true. Do we actually believe Jesus or not? And I do not think he's being particularly um, spiritual. I think he's being practical. He's saying it's simply true that this is not what leads to the good life. But there is a story, a narrative that is so ingrained in us, in our subconscious here, at least in America, especially in Orange County, that it almost goes unchallenged, which is, yeah, no, more possessions, more stuff, that is the good life. And so we play out that narrative, right? We teach our kids at an early age to get really good grades in school so that they can get into a really good college 
so that they can get a really good job, so that they can earn a certain amount of money, so that they can get into a nice home in a nice neighborhood, so they can build up a level of wealth and have freedom to do certain things and have certain things and ultimately retire with ease and then when they die to leave something for the next generation. That, that, that narrative is so ingrained in us because it says this, that's where the good life is found. It's found in all of those things. And I want to start by just saying, here's what's so crazy about that narrative. It's simply not true. And I get, I'm not even making a spiritual statement. I'm making a practical statement. It's simply not true. What I mean is this, richer people simply aren't happier than poorer people. Any study that's ever been done, any of the statistics say it's, a, it's simple, that More money does not equal more fulfillment in life, more satisfaction, more joy. There is, I think, there is a a minimum bar in terms of basic necessities that are met. I think there's there's a kind of poverty that can be deeply, um, can prevent true life. But once that's reached, okay, um, there's there's no correlation (laughs) between more stuff, more money, and more deep fulfillment and satisfaction in life, okay? The nicer the houses, the nicer the clothes, the, the better the toys, the bigger the yachts, the, the more homes, the, 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 the greater vacations, okay? None of that actually factors into more joy. What you find is as you increase in your income, you certainly, you just, you just trade certain problems for other problems. That, that's what happens. So I was, I was kind of thinking about this. Um, I live in the, the zip code 92626 right now. Nine two six two six. Yes, uh, the median. I looked this up on Zillow. The median home price. Did I say that right? Yeah, I just, that didn't sound right. Uh, the median home price in my zip code is just over eight hundred thousand dollars now. It's a lot of money. Makes me feel good. Um, uh, I grew up in the zip code nine two six six zero. Zillow. The median home price now is uh, just over one million nine hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so just over a, a million-dollar differential between the median household in those two places. That's a, that's a big difference. But what I'm saying today is this. If you could do a study of everyone in 92626 and measure their life, joy, meaning, sense of fulfillment, and then do the same thing in the 92660, you would find absolutely no significant difference between those two populations. Absolutely none in terms of deep joy and meaning. What you find is you're just trading certain problems for other problems, all right? Now, some of us find ourselves in those zip zip codes out of just luck, out of giftedness, not because we're working really hard to get from one to the other, but some people work really, really hard, spend so much of their lives and energy and thoughts trying to get from one of those zip codes to the other. And you think about, you're doing all that work and the stats don't lie. That will not lead to more happiness in your life. It's just a, it's just a, Basic fact of human life. Jesus is simply stating a fact. (laughs) Life does not consist in these things. Why? Because the human heart was designed for something bigger than money and possessions. And money and possessions make promises that they cannot deliver to the human heart. It's just a fact of human existence. And so I just wanted to start with that basic idea. And, and we need to sit with that and go, do we actually believe that that's true or not? And for most of us, we probably would say, well, yes and no. There's a part of me that does and there's a part of me that doesn't. 
But what I want to look at today is this. If that is actually true, if we believe that's true, then what should our relationship with money and possessions be? What's the relationship that Jesus invites us into? What is the way of relating with these things? Well, let's talk about that. Jesus goes on. Here's one. I, I think he warns us against two unhelpful postures with money, and then he, he invites us into a very life-giving and freeing posture with money. All right? So I'm going to look at these two unhelpful ones first, and then we'll look at the life-giving one. All right, two unhelpful ones. The first one is maybe the most obvious one we think of, and it is the posture of greed, all right? Uh, Look at verse 15. Jesus says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And the Greek word that this is written in for greed has within it just the idea of more, (laughs) okay? Uh, Just more, wanting more, craving more. Greed is a restlessness inside that says it's never enough. I'm always wanting more. I'm wanting the next thing. I want more in the account. I want a bigger place. I want more clothes. I want more whatever. It's just this restless craving for always looking for more. That's what greed is. Uh, and it's easy to pick on stereotypes of, of greed, right? We think of the corporate execs who, you know, are kind of doing these backhanded deals and these, you know, um, unethical ways of, of getting rich and greedy, or the Wall Street folks are doing these things. But really, I think if we sit with it, th- that, that way of relating to wealth is inside of all of us, and it plays out in different ways. Just that, that constant desire for more, <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. For some of us, it's, it's clothing. Clothing, we want more, right? It's never quite enough. How many of you have found the clothing item that you said, this will complete my wardrobe? Right? Like the shoes, that will complete the wardrobe. And then you get the shoes, and then two days later, oh no, there's that other shoe that would complete the wardrobe, right? Or how about, you know, we could think of our homes, and, and you, you, do the, you do the kitchen remodel, right? You think, if, if we could just, you know, get the kitchen up to date, I'd be content. And you get the kitchen updated, it looks fantastic. And then you're like, yeah, but now the bathrooms don't, match the kitchen, right? The kitchen's upgraded. The bathrooms are still 1970s. We've got to take care of that, right? And of course, we have a whole advertising industry, right? That is all these advertisements we're seeing all the time with promises. This product will make you happier, safer, uh, more satisfied, you know? Um, and then I think in, in Orange County, what makes us so hard is we're always constantly playing the comparison game, right? We're seeing all these wealthy people around us and that triggers our own, how we kind of, you know, relate with that. I can remember a couple years ago, um, you know, we bought a house like four years ago, moved into it. Uh, we love it. We got it kind of dialed in where, whatever that means. And, um, and I liked, I like our house. And like two years ago, I went over to a friend's house uh, for a party and same, like same problem. Their house was probably worth the same as ours. Um, but, but the layout was so much nicer and they just, they had it dialed in so much better than we did. And I had woken up totally satisfied with my house, and I came home in the afternoon utterly unsatisfied with my house. You know, same house, nothing had changed. But that, that, the comparison thing, you know, gets inside of us. Um, Jesus has strong words to that posture. Look what he says. Watch out. Be on your guard. He's not trying to shame us. He's trying to protect us when he says that. These are like enemies that will get inside of your heart. 
You need to guard yourself. Like set up, a, set up guards so they can't, this greed can't attack the city of your heart. Because greed is so destructive. It's so harmful to the human heart. Think about what greed does to your heart. It leaves your heart always restless, always wanting more, never able to be present to all the good that is right there in front of you, but unsatisfied. What a hard way to live life. And Jesus, watch out. <laughs> Carefully guard your heart against that, that insatiable desire for more. Um, in our passage, you get two real concrete examples of greed. Um, Bless you, child. Um, the first is actually what triggers this whole conversation about wealth. Look at verse 13, okay? Here's, a, here's a, a deep example of greed. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay? So someone in the family has just died, and now the siblings are arguing about how to break up the estate. Uh, and this is one of the... Um, you know, one of the darkest versions of greed, and many of you have had to walk through this personally, where a family member dies, and this, this sad event that should bring families together absolutely tears them apart. This is the, the human heart at its worst, because greed sets in in such personal ways. And uh, it's just this dark uh, uh, example of, of greed in the human heart and, and all that it can do to relationships of family members even. And Jesus has strong words to say that guy. And um, that's, that's the first example. But then the second example is the parable that Jesus tells um, about this uh, landowner that begins in verse 16. Um, take a look. Verse 16, uh, you know, this certain rich man. So there's, you've got this, this wealthy landowner who has a bumper crop and, uh, and he's got excess, right? He's got excess crops, and he, he's, he's just trying to figure out what to do with it. So he, what he does is he already has barns uh, for his crops, but he says, I'll tear those down, and I'll, I'll build bigger barns. And I, I don't know, some of you might be, you read that this morning, like, that just sounds like wisdom to me. Like, that, you know, that, that makes sense. That's what you do. Um, Jesus calls it greed. I, he labels it as greed. And I think one of the reasons is, um, in verse 16, he's already identified as a rich man. Okay? The guy's already rich, meaning he already has more than he needs, and yet he's not satisfied with that. He's going to build more. He already has barns, uh, and yet he's going to um, build bigger barns. And I, I, what we don't appreciate now is if you think culturally in that day, like the dynamic that's at play, um, there's almost no middle class back then in first century uh, Palestine. All right, So you had wealthy landowners and then basically you had day laborers uh, that would work for them. And, and the different, the power differential, the wealth you know, disparity was so huge. And so this guy has even more wealth now. And that would provide this great opportunity to, to bless the people that have actually harvested his grain. And instead, he keeps it for himself. And, and that wealth gap gets even bigger. The power differential gets even bigger. And so you can imagine those day laborers look at this guy and you're like, how much more greedy can you be? You already have so much more than us. And yet you're going to take our labor and use that and just make yourself even more wealthy. Greed. Uh, never enough. Bigger barns, right? So I think it's worth just sitting with that. I'm going to move on, but just sitting, go, where do I see that? in my own heart? What are the subtle ways or maybe the not so subtle ways where I see this quest always more thinking the next thing, the next thing more, it's never enough, right? We all wrestle with that. I don't care what your income level says. We all wrestle with that. Jesus says, watch 
out. Be on your guard against that posture. Now, the second uh, posture, the second negative posture that he warns us against is not greed, but actually worry and anxiety and insecurity in relationship with our money and possessions. Look at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. Okay, so you have greed on the one hand, but on the other hand, you have fear and anxiety. Greed is always wanting more and more. Anxiety looks at what you already have and wonders, is it, is it going to be enough? Will it be there tomorrow? Will it be there the next day? And I would imagine that most of us, we would self-identify more with anxiety than with greed when it comes to our material resources, right? And we might, each of us experience that insecurity and anxiety on different levels. For some of you in this room right now, that is a very immediate concern. Like I have anxiety about, I'm looking at the rent that needs to be paid. I'm looking at the utilities bill. I'm looking at what I'm making. The math is not adding up in my favor right now. You feel it very profoundly right now. It's an immediate concern. Some of you, it's a more long-term concern right now. You're, you've got kids and you're thinking about this thing called college that is absolutely crazy in terms of what it costs these days. And you're going, that's 10 years out. I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, some of you, it might be retirement that you are looking ahead of that or you actually have come into that now and you're looking at what's left and the years you think you might have and wondering if that's going to work out in your favor. Um, something I'm learning about financial insecurity. This is, this is the thought of the day. If you need a thought for the day, um, this is my thought for the day. I have learned this in the last five years that a person's level of financial anxiety has absolutely nothing to do with their net worth. Literally absolutely nothing to do with what they make or how much they have. And what I mean, and I'm, I'm learning this as I talk to people. What I'm learning is there are people in this room right now who, make, who are worth 20 times more than I am right now, right? And I would think if I had that much money, I would never <laughs> have, a, have an anxious thought about my finances ever again. And they absolutely have the same level of, of financial anxiety as I do, okay? And of course, there are people who make 10 times less than me that would say, if I made as much as that guy... I would never worry another day in my life, and yet here I am worrying. And that, I'm just learning that about us. It has nothing to do with how much you make. It is an issue of the heart that cuts across the board. And again, I think part of why that is is, is back to that idea of the comparison game, because however much money you make, we tend to compare ourselves to those around us who make about 10% more than we do. Right? We're always thinking about the, the friend or the, the, the person down the street who has a little bit more. We rarely compare ourselves with people who have 10% less than us. Interesting. So, so whatever we have, it's always not quite as much as it could be. It just kind of is this even playing field. That's my thought of the day. Take it or leave it. Um, but anxiety, like greed, is so harmful to the human heart. Right? When you're, when you're anxious, you're... You're literally, you're choked, you're tight. It's like when your breathing is restricted, right? You're not, you're not taking in life. You're not relaxed to take in and enjoy 
all that is being given to you. And, and what, especially what happens in anxiety is you're turned inward on yourself so you're not free to look at the people around you and consider what their needs might be and how you might contribute to that because you're so turned in on what your own needs are. And Jesus really speaks into anxiety. As, as I thought more about the, the landowner parable, you know, he starts that by saying, watch out for greed. But as he tells the story, I realized that story is actually more about security than greed, right? I mean, if you think about, if you get inside the landowner's heart, what's going on in him, it's not so much greed, it's security. Look at verse 19. What does he say after he's built these barns? He says, then I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy Eat, drink, and be merry, right? That's an issue of you can be secure. You don't have to worry anymore. And so all the day laborers watching this guy build bigger barns, they would look from the outside guy, how much greedier can you be than that? But this guy, he's not experiencing himself as greedy. He's experiencing himself as anxious, and he's found a way through money to relieve his anxiety. It's about, for him, it's actually more about security, Security through storing up a surplus. And I thought, well, that's relevant, (laughs) right? Security, pursuing security by storing up a surplus. We have a storage facility right across uh, McCormick right there, right? We have this whole storage industry um, that is available for people who don't have enough room in their homes to store what they have. And so we can rent storage spaces, right, to store the excess stuff that we have. And uh, you could call that about greed, but it also could be about security, right? I, I might want, I don't know when I might want that couch in some future time or whatever it might be. We have, of course, not just physical storage, but we have financial storage spaces that we call accounts, you know, retirement accounts and all this. And, um, and we try to store up as much as we can in these accounts. And, and it's driven by a desire. Certainly the person who's doing it isn't thinking they're greedy. It's driven by a desire for security, to relieve a sense of anxiety and insecurity about our future. All right, so those are those two negative postures. We're going to turn to the positive in just a second, okay? So stay with me. You made it through. Greed and insecurity. And each one of us in this room, maybe there's one that we identify more with than the other, but we can probably identify with both at some level. Uh, Culturally, the financial state that greed causes is, is called debt, in case you're wondering that. And we live in a culture of debt. And debt, I, know, I recognize there's different kinds of debt. There's some good debt, there's some bad debt. Um, but debt, uh, the idea of debt is, you know, it, borders, it can border on greed because we're saying God is not providing enough for what I want, so I'm going to live above my means, right? Now, again, lots to talk about. But th- that's the financial condition of greed is debt. Um, the, the, the financial condition of, of insecurity is surplus storage space, <laughs> okay? And again, each one of us, our personalities probably gravitate towards one or others of those. And again, it's that combo of greed and anxiety that is so unhelpful to our human hearts that Jesus wants to free us from. All right, so let's turn towards the good. And next week will be all good, in case you're wondering. Lots of positive stories, inspiring examples from Jesus. So um, the good news is this. Jesus has such life-giving words to speak into our, our greed and our anxiety. Such freeing, life-giving words. Uh, the first freeing and life-giving word is found in verse 29. Or, sorry, verse 
20. But God said to him, here's the life-giving word, you, anybody looking at their Bibles? God said to him, you, you fool. Yes, that's the life-giving word that Jesus speaks. (laughs) You fool. He looks at our anxiety and our and our greed and says, you fool. Now, what you need to know, he's not saying, you idiot, stupid, okay? Fool has a fairly technical usage in the Bible. You find that word especially uh, in, um, in, the, in the Proverbs and in the Psalms. Psalm 14, the fool says in, in his heart, what? There is no God. It's a technical term. It's someone who is living as though God does not exist, okay? It's, a, it's living with practical atheism. You're you're living as though God doesn't exist. And Jesus looks at the greed and anxiety. He says, you're acting as though God doesn't exist. But he does exist. (laughs) He does. And let me invite you into a life in which God does exist. And he begins with maybe the harder side of God, his authority. Again, look at verse 20. God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He begins with God's authority. And he says, all your savings, all your plans, it presumes something. It presumes that you have control over your life. And you don't. I do, God says. That's the reality of the situation. I have authority over every day of your life. And so there's, there's, a, there's that authoritative side to God. But then for what Jesus does mostly is he invites us into this warm, loving, beautiful picture of our, God, of our God, which is just the same picture we painted last week, of a God who is our Father, who loves us and is there to provide everything we need. And that's what Jesus does for the rest of the passage. Let me remind you of who God is. Let me you, invite you into a life in which God exists. And he says, let me take you out of the, the, the world of money and possessions and stuff. Let me take you into the world of nature. And he adri- introduces us to birds and flowers and sheep. He says, open your eyes to birds and flowers and sheep and see who your God is. And let that shape how you relate to your stuff. All right, so let's look at, uh, we'll go pretty quickly through this. Uh, first, the birds. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? All right, consider the ravens, right? Um, I thought it was interesting. Jesus doesn't say consider the doves, you know, <clears throat> or even consider the sparrows, consider the swallow, you know. Um, ravens in the Old Testament are, are, are unclean birds, right? They're birds of prey. They eat dead stuff. And I think Jesus is saying, even the ravens, God provides for. He says, they don't sow and reap and store in barns. Well, that's exactly what the rich landowner did. He sowed and reaped and stored in barns. They don't do any of that. Birds work, right? They do work. They're, they're pretty busy. But they're not planning out their future. They're not, they're not, you know, they don't have this elaborate scheme. And God provides for them. And the same argument we saw last week, how much more, right, from the lesser to the greater. If that's how God provides for ravens of all birds, how much more for his children? So Jesus is inviting us. What what if you live like a bird? 
I mean, what would it look like to, to, to live like a bird? Say, you know, I actually don't have to have my financial f- future all figured out. Why? Because God exists. He's my dad, and he loves me, and he provides for me. Next, he says, consider flowers. Verse 27, consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Uh, This is a picture of uh, the Sea of Galilee, of a little path going down. You can see the mustard growing there, which is great. I geek out on stuff like this. But um, Israel has really the same kinds of native vegetation that we have in Southern California. So you've got lupin and poppies and and, uh, mustard and all the stuff that we, at least I grew up with. And Jesus is like, you know, they, they don't spin, they don't work, and yet they're clothed beautifully. Um, more beautifully than human beings are clothed. And, and they're there for a day and gone tomorrow. Um, how much more then will God clothe you? What if you lived more like flowers? Jesus is saying. Verse 29. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagan world runs after all these things. That's what people do in the world, Jesus. Everyone else is freaking out about all that stuff. That's what the world does. But you, your father knows you need these things. You believe God exists and he's your dad. You don't have to live that way. There's a great passage in, um, in Hebrews. I love this passage. It says this, keep your lives free. That's the word, freedom, from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why should I be content? Why should I not worry? Because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we say in response with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. He's saying, when you look out at your future, what gives you a sense that things are going to be okay? Well, if God exists, it's surely not because I've got a certain amount of money in the account. That's not what gives us a sense of that. It's because I have a God who loves me and has promised to never leave me. That's where I find my security in him. And what a freeing thought that is. Because I can have that regardless of what the account says. And then the last image, (laughs) he takes us to the image of sheep. Consider sheep. Verse 32. I chose that one for a reason you'll see in just a second. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Okay, now we're not talking about literal sheep here. We're talking about his followers who Jesus is comparing to a flock. Uh, And it's a little flock, right? And I like this. These are such innocent little, you know, they're... um, Helpless, right? They're kind of naive and helpless. They're a little flock. And what Jesus is saying is like, if the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And so I picture him looking at his disciples in this moment. You know, these, these fishermen, this sort of ragtag crew of, you know, they're not peasants, but they're, they're not wealthy, most of them. Just kind of first century, small town, you know, folks. Um, with really not much power and privilege. And Jesus is looking on like, you have no idea what you're going to inherit. Like you have absolutely no idea what the Father has planned for you. You will inherit his kingdom. 
the new heavens and the new earth, everything will be yours. It's like looking at, you know, some 10-year-old kid who's, you know, let's say his dad has made, you know, millions, almost billions in some, some company. And this kid is just a kid, right? He doesn't know any different. But you, you look at him like, you are an heir to an incredible inheritance. You have no idea what privilege and wealth awaits you. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks at us today and says, don't, you don't need to be afraid, little flock. Don't go scratching for all this stuff. That's what the world does. You are heirs. The Father has been pleased to give you everything. It's all going to be yours one day. All of it will be yours one day. He's not just giving it to you. He's pleased. It brings him great pleasure to give this little flock such a vast and amazing inheritance. And I picture him saying to us, man, if you could see things from my perspective, like if you could see just how how incredibly short this life is. I know it's all you know, but it's just a blip. And then literally everything is going to be yours. You are so wealthy. You are so rich in God's kingdom. Little flock, the father is pleased. So good. So all that to say, he looks at the greed, he looks at the insecurity, he says, fool. <laughs> that imagines that God doesn't exist, but he does. And he's your treasure, not stuff. And he loves you. And he's, he will provide what you need in this life. And guess what? You're going to get everything one day. A kingdom of endless wealth and pleasure is waiting for you. So you don't have to grab up as much as you can right now. It's all going to be yours. And he is yours. And he's saying, just imagine if that vision captured your your mind and sunk into your heart. How would you then change your relationship with money and your stuff? And let me leave you with this posture that I think he invites us into. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into specifics next week. So I'll just mention it, show you where it is here. Here's the posture, not a posture of greed, not a posture of insecurity, but a posture of what I would call open-handed generosity. That's the posture throughout the New Testament that we're invited to. Open-handed generosity. My hands are not clenched. I'm not grabbing after my. I'm not trying to hold desperately on to what I have. I have received all of this, so I take it in with gratitude. I enjoy it. And then I give it just as freely as I've received it. That's the posture. Let me show it to you. Verse 33. In light of the fact that the kingdom is yours, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, we want to take that spiritually. No, no, I think he means it. Sell your possessions. No, I don't, he doesn't say sell all your possessions. No, but hold loosely to your stuff. Be willing to give stuff away for people who need more of it. That's what that rich landowner should have done. should have built bigger barns. should have given, given it away. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Look at verse 29, 21. Back to the rich landowner. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves. Here's the phrase. But is not rich toward God. Don't be rich toward yourself. Instead, be rich toward God. Give generously and freely to him, to people, to his causes. Of course, most famously, verse 31. But seek first his kingdom. All these things will be given to you, so seek his kingdom. And use your wealth to pursue his kingdom, to invest in his kingdom. Why? Verse 34, it ends this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow our treasures. That's just how we're designed. So where do you want your heart to be? Do you want your heart to be in in clothes and guitars and 
wine collections and say, you know, what, you name it. Or do you want your heart to be in God and in people and in things having a, a deep impact around the world? Where do you want your heart? Well, invest your treasures and your heart's going to follow where you invest your treasures. All that to say, open-handed generosity. I'll leave you with this. Do we believe it or not? Which is to say, what is the good life? Truly, what is it actually? What leads to joy and fulfillment in life? And there are two options before us. One is this. You pursue the accumulation of stuff and money as a way to, to gain security and satisfaction and significance. That is, that is one version of the good life. And here's the other, is you seek first God and his kingdom. You trust him. You trust him to provide, and you live with this open-handed generosity. And you find great joy in the use of your wealth and stuff for the sake of others. Those are the, the good lives offered to us. And we all have to make a choice of what, which one we think will truly bring joy and fulfillment. Let's pray. Let's just take, you know, maybe 20 seconds or so of silence. Um, I've said a lot. There's a lot in this passage. But to just sit with um, this. And I'm, I'm going to have Mark come up at the end. Of this. He's going to lead us in prayer just to, just to process this. But really bring, you know, honestly, just bring your heart before the Lord. Um, whatever it is, just confess in, in the sense of just speak the truth of where your heart is. Don't try to fix it or change it, but just be honest and come to God and engage in a conversation with him about what is your relationship with your stuff at this time? What do you want it to be? What do you think he has for you in it? So let's just take a moment to kind of sit and reflect on this. As we've been considering these things, let us just move into a time of prayer together about all this. We, we have our own stories to tell as it relates to our attitudes surrounding money and material attachments and how those things have have shaped our identities, our ambitions, our fears and securities, anxieties and greed. And whatever that all is for you, uh, the truth is we, we all have issues in one way or another. And, and a, a really good sermon and a momentary sense of conviction will not in themselves produce the kind of deep spiritual transformation that is required for us to change in the profound ways that we need to change. And so only the only real hope we have for lasting change is in the power of God, moving and working in our hearts and minds. And so we do the best thing we can do, and that is to go to God, to appeal to him in prayer. So let's just do that right now. Father, almighty God, 
creator of the heavens and the earth. We need you now. This is so hard for us. We have huge blind spots. And almost everything around us contributes to a faulty perception of money and possessions. And you know our problems. You know our issues. You know where we fail in these areas. Where we don't trust you. Our fears and attachments. You know it all. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us by the blood of Jesus. And thank you that when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our wrongdoing and unrighteousness. And so we come to you now bringing all of our stuff, our sin, in confession to you right now. Father, may we see a new way forward with freedom in our hearts, with a newfound peace and contentment and generosity and hospitality. However entrenched we may be in our thinking and our ways of life, break through all of that by the power of your spirit the same power that gave sight to the blind and healed the sick and cast out demons and raised Jesus from the grave. We pray, Lord, that you use the same power to transform us in this regard. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray this and on the basis of his life given for us and redeeming us, and allowing us to do this, to approach your throne of grace with these bold requests. We pray this to you. Amen.